Good evening and welcome to Matters of Life. I'm your host, John Lucier. We're glad to have you with us as we discuss this week's topic, selecting leaders, which is participating in the democratic process, or as we would typically refer to it, voting. This is a, especially in the United States, I know we have listeners from all over the world, but here in the United States, we are preparing to participate in the upcoming midterm elections. And it's a, has been an interesting time, and it is an interesting time for all, because there is a lot of voices in the world that are all trying to pull God's people, but everyone, in a different direction, to see if they can be drawn away and enticed by their own lust, to see if they that can happen through fear of what's going to happen. That is a huge message that has been I'll say screamed for such a long time is depending on what happens in, in this midterm, will democracy even exist? (laughs) And, And I have to laugh because we shouldn't be swayed by fear. Not for one second. What does the Lord tell us? Or in second Timothy one seven, he says this for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. Other versions would translate it and say self-control. We should remain in control because we already know the Lord has provided. And and I want to encourage us today to not be, I'll say, bound by fear, but to be freed from it. If we actually look at, well, that might be a question you ask, right? John, how can you say that? And, And I'll give you two things. One, because the Lord has already spoken. He's already given us his word. He is our our tall tower, our fortress, our refuge, right? He preserves us with his right hand, and there's no terror in us because of the Lord. Two, if we took an actual look at, you can look at in the natural poll numbers and data, you would find that it only declares that those that are, that claim to be the Lord's have the majority, Different polls say different things. So I want to point one thing out, right? Certain polls would tell you that, well, uh, in, in the United States, approximately 7 out of 10 individuals identify as a Christian. That's the majority by a long shot in this nation. But I want you to be aware of how these polls are broken down. And by that, I mean... And you also see it in this time of year. All the ways that the enemy would try to divide you, and by that I mean Christians, I mean believers, only come out, they're highlighted by, I'll say, participating in the democratic process, by voting. And, and you see that, even in, even in polls. Because it's not just Christians on the whole. How is it broken down? by all the different denominations, whether you're Protestant or Baptist or Catholic or whatever the case is, as a trick of the enemy to try to to create division, to create separation within the body of Christ. But what the Lord say about it? They would know you by your love for one another. That's what the whole world will know you by your love for one another. So where is our love for one another? 
Or have we become part of the problem by, I'll say, accepting and playing into the divisiveness that has been used against the church, against the body of Christ? Right? This, this absolutely matters to our life. And it's not just about being aware of things. What's the solution? And I'll tell you, we can find that solution in the Word. Right? So, let's look at Acts chapter 6. Right? And we're going to read the first three verses. It says, Now at this time, while the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. So the twelve summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, It is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. Therefore, brethren, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task. And and it continues, but I want to pause there. Because... As I look at that section of scripture, I literally, uh, the Lord, you know, has revealed that is the democratic process in action. So there are things that we can learn from this that we should apply to our life. And by we, I mean Christians and believers, apply it to our life and how we approach voting, how we approach participating in the, in this democratic process. And, uh, and I want to caveat everything that's going to be discussed here because, and by saying this. Yes, this podcast is in the U.S., and right now it, the message is primarily geared towards the United States of America and the upcoming midterm elections. But what we are going to learn here in this teaching, in this show, literally can be applied and should be applied throughout the entirety of the world. And that is how we, Christians, believers, in the world will see and experience change. When we change, when we apply what we're going to discuss here, we will see and be a part of that change. You will, you know, as soon as you put your faith in action and do these things, there will be drastic change in your nation. So, that being said, I want to to break some things down here, right? So, the very first thing that we're looking at in these verses is, I'll say, the, the democratic process. Select from amongst yourselves a certain number of people, And then there are certain certifications and, or qualifications, skills, abilities, characteristics, part of the nature, personality, and attributes found in these people that they, were, that they are to search for. There's a criteria of what would make a good candidate. Now, I want to bring this up because this was coming from the Lord through the apostles 
right? Those disciples that walked with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So through the Holy Spirit, they received this, and now the people who had an issue, right? The, The widows, the Hellenistic Jews who were being overlooked, just in what was considered a basic thing, right? The daily serving of food. They had the opportunity to, I'll say, change from being part of the issue to now having the opportunity to be part of the solution. And we, Christians and believers, have this same opportunity afforded to us now and today. And every time there is an election, every time we get the, uh, the opportunity to participate in the democratic process, Right, so, and, and I'm I'm sure those that are listening, that are are hearing this, can go and and think back on all these different times and opportunities just here within, you know, the last couple, two three years, where we've seen changes in legislation, we've seen different programs that supposedly were going to provide something, a basic necessity of life. That was the claim, that was the promise, and it was not. Right? So do we see the similarity here, or do we understand the similarity here? Right? It's almost identical to what many are experiencing even in this great nation today. But again, there is the opportunity to step in to the role of being part of the solution. And that solution was this, right? These these people, these select groups, could choose from amongst themselves. Well, in the previous episode that we were discussing about living out your faith, that was exactly one of the things or a couple of the things that we were asking. How is our family and what are we teaching them? How is our community and are we involved? So that's the thing about this. When they're looking for these candidates, there are three main qualifications that are being searched for. And you find those in verse three. Ready? It is one, men of good reputation. Two, full of the spirit. That's the Holy Spirit. And three, people of wisdom. Men of wisdom. Not just having knowledge, but correctly or knowing the correct knowledge to apply at the appropriate time. So this is what what we have described in Acts. So we're going to go through these things, right? The first is men of good reputation. And what does that look like or sound like, you may ask? Well, good. Um, that's a marvelous question because we should explore it in its entirety. And I would ask you, if you have your Bibles, to turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to read the first 13 verses. So 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 13 says this. It is a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, It is a fine work he desires to do. An overseer, then, must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, 
temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not addicted to wine or pugnacious, but gentle, peaceable, free from the love of money. He must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? And not a new convert, so that he will not become conceited and fall into the condemnation incurred by the devil. And he must have a good reputation with those outside the church, so that he will not fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Deacons likewise must be men of dignity, not double-tongued or addicted to much wine or fond of sordid gain, but holding to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. These men must also first be tested. Then let them serve as deacons if they are beyond reproach. Women must likewise be dignified, not malicious gossips, but temperate, faithful in all things. Deacons must be husbands of only one wife and good managers of their children and their own households. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a high standing and great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. So, as you, we read there, there's a, a bunch of different things that we can, we can learn. Men of good reputation is really expounded upon. And there are so many things that we in this nation, even today, would consider of good moral character. Right? We find it here first in the Word. Are these not things that we, as citizens of this nation, are looking for or should be looking for when we select leadership, putting those in positions above us to carry out what is good and will bless and benefit the entirety of the nation, not just select groups? Because if, if we look back at Acts... Wasn't that the exact issue? There was division amongst the groups. And it led to arguments and, and all those things. So much so that they needed to appoint structure and leadership. Well, we already have a structure and a leadership for this nation that was given to our founding fathers by the Lord. These were men of prayer. And, and it's evident in the documentation that we find that established this nation each and every document. So, why would it be different for us today? But if we look at this even, I'll say even deeper, yes, this, has a, this applies first to the church, right? And of course, there's a scripture that judgment first starts in the house, the house of God, which is what this process was given for. So then I would have to ask you, the Lord, well, I'll make this statement and then I'll ask a question. The Lord only gives his best. And by only gives, I mean he first offers his best for us, to us, which is first himself, but his ways, his thoughts, his commandments, because they're for our good, to bless and benefit everyone equally. 
there's one standard with the Lord. He's no respecter of persons. And he's not a man that he should lie. So, that being said, if this is the Lord's best and he gave it first for the church, why would we not carry it out in the way that the Lord gave it to us? As it pertains to every area and aspect of our life. If this is what he gave for the church, shouldn't we carry and conduct ourselves and this process for the nation in the same way that he gave it for the church, for his body? This is a nation that was dedicated after God, right? Uh, uh, if you will, uh, if I may be so bold, to say a, a second Israel. Not that Israel can be replaced, the nation of Israel, but in the same manner, our founding fathers dedicated this land and this nation to be a nation after God. So why would we do things in a different manner? Why would we look for people that do not exhibit our Lord and Savior's nature, character, and attributes? Shouldn't that be the only thing that we are looking for in candidates? Right? And this is the first, the very first thing, men of good reputation. Well, what are some of these reputations? Above reproach. Hospitable. Respectable. And, and it doesn't stop there. You also see the different levels in this, I'll say, in these leadership positions. Some would say that that this is, it discusses both overseers and deacons. Right, so different levels. Overseers would clearly be part of the fivefold ministry, which you find in um, Ephesians 4. And with that, actually, we'll just read that real quick. Ephesians 4, 11 through 12. It says this, And he gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors, and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. So these are significant roles. And then there are those that are considered deacons, which is a lesser role, lesser authority. But what is the standard for them? It's the exact same. That begins in, in verse 8. Deacons likewise must be men likewise must be men of dignity. So in the same manner as those that are in the highest levels, those that are in the lower levels of leadership, of authority, still have the same standard applied to them. So it goes back to again. In the last episode, when we discussed living out your faith, I would have to ask, have we compromised our faith? Have we compromised our standard? And I know that's a, that's a harsh question. Have we allowed ourselves to, to be come divided and not pursue the things of the Lord and not hold ourselves and those in leadership to the standard that the Lord has.
why have we settled for less? If we would not accept it in the church, and we don't, that's become abundantly clear. And actually, the world doesn't even accept those that claim to be of the faith or doesn't want them to be part of it, part of the process and a candidate. However, what do they use in order to exclude them? All the places where they're not living up to the standard. The world knows the standard. And they are quick to point out the flaws. Now, yes, you can say, well, there's got to be some grace applied. Absolutely. We are to be, to live by grace. We've received grace and we should give that grace freely to others. However, in that grace is there's also the process of how are we approaching them and are they willing to bring whatever that thing is? And by they, I mean our potential leaders under the blood and align themselves, realign themselves with the Lord and his ways in their life. And it should be evident. It should be evident in, in everything. The, the world, but I'll bring this up because the hypocrisy is something that has become so exposed both from those in the church or those that profess Christ and those that are not. But they say one thing and do another. And I will tell you that there is a battle that is happening in this nation, but all over the world. And we see that battle everywhere. The battle is for consistency. The Lord is asking his people to be consistent in all things, to consistently reflect Christ in their life and in their actions, not just in word or deed, but in word and, and deed, to worship him in spirit and truth. And on the other side of that is the devil and his push to have consistency in inconsistency. Because if there is, if everything is inconsistent, then who can make heads or tails of a situation? If the process or the whatever the standard is changes moment by moment, who can live and operate in that type of environment? And that is what one of the things the Lord has been exposing, not just in the United States, but throughout the globe. Yes, first among his church, but amongst everyone. Where is the inconsistency between what you say and how you live your life? Does it reflect the Lord and his nature and character and attributes, or is it far from it? And if, you, if we really study this out, these, this is just the first qualification, right? Men of good reputation. You will find a number of different things. And one of those, and we haven't quite gotten to it yet, but it is impossible to do without the leading and guiding of the Holy Spirit. 
If we look at Acts again, in the beginning of the book of Acts, the disciples, now apostles, received, because they listened to the instruction of the Lord, they went back and did what he said to do in the manner with which he said to do it. They received his gift of the Holy Spirit. And as a result of that gift, they were empowered to do, to, to complete, to fulfill everything that he has commanded them to do. The destiny track for their life. Only through his leading and guiding. And we will get to it, but if we study out every line item, every bullet point contained within 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 13, on what men or those that are in good, uh, that have, or have a good reputation, what that entails, you will see that contained within there are also The, uh, I'll say the way it's phrased is very similar to what we find in Galatians when discussing the fruit of the Holy Spirit, which is part of the nature, character, and attributes of our Lord, found in our pattern and example, Jesus the Christ. But I want to I want to say this, and we're we're going to move forward because. That's not the only time that this is given, right? There's also scripture out of the mouth of two or three witnesses. Let something be established. So if we could, let's move forward to Titus chapter 1. And we're going to look at verses 5 through 9. Which says this. In discussing qualifications of elders. For this reason, I left you in Crete. That you would set in order what remains, and appoint elders in every city as I directed you. Namely, if any man is above reproach, the husband of one wife, having children who believe, not accused of dissipation or rebellion, for the overseer must be above reproach as God's steward, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not addicted to wine, not pugnacious, not found of sordid gain, but hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, devout, self-controlled, holding fast the faithful word, which is in accordance with the teaching, so that he will be able both to exhort in sound doctrine and refute those who contradict. You know, there is um, a lot to be said about that. And we'll see how this rolls right into both the second and third qualification that's discussed in Acts. Being full of the Spirit, but also being men of wisdom. Right? The ability to not look out for your own good at the cost and expense of everyone else or to just gain for yourself. This is a huge thing that has come up. And everything, right? Whether it's about stock markets and insider potential insider trading and, and all these other, I'll say, double standards, 
or quote unquote double standards where it might be said that no one's above the law. But when it comes to family members of our elected officials, what is clearly being seen, observed, and experienced by others is in fact hypocrisy and a double standard. But the ability to even in in those situations remain self-controlled and hold fast the word, the word of the Lord, while also having the ability to teach it and to to teach the word, to exhort or encourage, admonish, and equip others to live by it, to apply it to their life, while also being able to refute those who contradict. And I, I want to address that for a moment, because it's not just having debates and, and trying to argue the word, but it is about living it out. Right, there's the saying, actions speak louder than words. Right, but that literally we we covered that in James. Right? You say one thing, one one person says they have faith, one person says they have works or deeds. But I'll show you my faith by my works, by my deeds. They're working together in conjunction. And I think that has been a frustration of many for such a long time, where yeah, certain words are said. And promises are made about actions that will be taken if and when that person becomes an elected official. But then you see the reality of things. And it's far different from what they promised. They might as well have taken a pen and just crossed out every line item that were there. While there are others that say, hey, I ran on this platform. People voted for me. And I'm going to do my utmost to bring that to pass because that's what I receive from the Lord and that's what I'm going to run with. That's what I'm going to accomplish for the Lord. And then others have the opportunity to come into that, to be in agreement with you and the Lord for those that are potential candidates or those that are considering, whether it's now or in the future. To be, just be obedient to the Lord and how he's leading you. We all get the opportunity. We all get multiple opportunities. We all get choices. How many that we receive is entirely up to the Lord. But he does give us the opportunity to be a participant in the process and in what he's doing and desires to do in your life, in your community, and in the nation as a whole. So these, these things absolutely matter. But I, I want to move forward because as we, we covered discussing whether it's overseers or deacons or now we're talking about elders, we see the standard is the same. But I will tell you it is impossible to accomplish those things, to live in that manner all the time, allowing the Lord to shine in and through us without Him, without having and being endued with power from on high. And by that, I mean the Holy Spirit. So, if we could, please turn to Galatians 5. Yeah, turn to Galatians chapter 5. 
forgive me, I lost my place. Galatians chapter 5. So we're going to cover verses 16 through 26. Which says this. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarned you, just as I have forewarned you that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, good kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another and envying one another. So we see written in this, this same section of Scripture in Galatians. Again, an identical match to how overseers, deacons, and elders, or if I could, I'm just going to lump it into one category. Leaders are supposed to act and behave, are supposed to conduct themselves. The nature, character, and attributes that should be on display at all times in their life. And, and I say all times because, again, what we were reading in the, in the first part of Acts was this. Choose from yourselves people from among you. There's a, a key part there. And, and I say that because, again, this is those peop- the people that are electing or participating in this democratic process, that are choosing leaders for themselves to help manage and facilitate and bless and benefit their lives, their individually, their family, the community. And at that time, it was the church, the first church, there is a, I'll say, the key is this. By being part of the community, the individual is known or should be known. It's not someone that's afar off that just showed up that is an unknown, as in you don't know who they are, their nature and their character. It is, you actually know who they are, not just the whether you want to call it a facade or what they're advertising to you on how they are, but you know them. The community knows them who they are, not just, the, not just in appearance, not just in 
their branding. I want to look a certain way or, or have this, have people, I'll say, view me in this light, but you know them personally. You know their, who they are, their family, what they are about in the public eye and when there's the, the quote-unquote sense that no one is watching. You know who they are. You know the areas that they are strong in. You know the areas that they are weak in. There's that being open and honest, truthful with each other and others. How can there be a relationship that's based upon lies? And if that's what it's based upon or founded upon, how then can you trust the individual to accomplish what they said they would accomplish? How can you trust that they will actually do the things when they reach the position of leadership that they claim they will do? It's an impossibility. So why have we, Christians and believers, not applied that to our life and our candidates? And I know there's, <laughs> I can sense it, that there are probably those saying right now, well, well John, that's great, but we only have uh, a, a month, month and a half before the elections, before the midterm elections. We could have used that long ago. And, yep, sure, that, that's true. And I'll also tell you this. The Lord gives the message at the right time for a reason. And it's not just a for-today message. It's not just something that we apply today and receive the victory and then go about our way and continue back in the process and the plans that we always have, allowing ourselves to, to be divided by everything in life. Again, but it's something that we have to apply to our lives each and every day and each and every moment of every day to not be swayed away by our own lust, desires, and, you know, any wind of doctrine. It goes back to, again, living out your faith. What are we teaching our children? How to stand firm in their faith? And is that because they see it? and hear about it in us and from others concerning us? Or is it a do what I say and not what I do? Is it hypocritical? And then if that is what we're teaching them, just to blend in and look like everybody else, or to put on a, a certain facade or persona, depending on the situation we find ourselves in, what then would we expect from our children? We are the epistle that's read by all men. We have to live it out. Not just talk about it, but actually be the example so others can follow. Teaching them how to live it out and why it matters to them and their life and the lives of the future generations. So, back to Galatians 5. We see, we're made aware in this section of Scripture of the contrast between what we were just read about as someone of a good reputation 
and those that are, which we should find, the people of good reputation, in and of the faith. That was the second quota was, or uh, quota, excuse me, qualification, was those that are filled with the Spirit, with the Holy Spirit. This matters. This was a, a promise from the Lord that we would receive this because we had need of it. That's what he told his apostles. You have need of the Holy Spirit. So the Lord had to go. So the Holy Spirit could be sent and freely given. That should, that should be a key requirement. And we see in Acts it is. Why would we do things another way? The Lord already gave us his best. So this matters. It matters, so, I mean, like, the extent to which it matters is, uh, I mean, I can't even really put it into words. The Lord said, without me, you can do nothing. Well, the Holy Spirit is part of the Godhead for that reason, to empower us to do and accomplish all that he has destined for us to do. And that includes even running for office and supporting those that are running for office. But how will we know if that is the calling for our lives and or if that is the candidate the Lord is asking you to support if we haven't first checked with him, asking him to which he will instruct us by his Holy Spirit. So, th so this is the, the other interesting part of this because some may say well, well i don't even know that there is a holy spirit well we can get into that in greater detail but there's the other aspect of along with maturity and that was one of the the criteria discussed in timothy it said not a new convert right a new convert shouldn't be put in leadership so that they don't become conceited and then essentially, I'm going to paraphrase it, fall away or be used by, by Satan, by the enemy, in order to inflict harm. And they themselves become lost in the process. Fall away from the faith or, or any such thing. So there, this is where it, uh, I'll say it still applies to everyone, but it applies in this manner. Because the Lord said, you will know them by what? By their fruit. So, again, everyone can, can look at what we're discussing here in Acts and the following scriptures and participate, apply this process and approach to the democratic process in your life. From the, the most senior or most mature, uh, well, not senior because there's no seniority in the kingdom, right? But for the most mature believer, those that have been in the faith for decades, to the, the person who just received Christ today, they have the opportunity and can participate in this process. It, even if they're not entirely familiar with the voice of the Lord in their life. Because the Lord says, again, you will know them by their fruit. Again, these are people that, the, these candidates that are potentially going to be or serve as elected officials. 
They should be known. And it's not a one-time thing. And as they move and grow and I'll say move up in, in the ranks of the political realm and leadership for this nation, that we don't continue that relationship. If you look throughout Scripture, especially in the New Testament, we, we were reading in Acts, but we also read in Titus and Timothy. Titus and Timothy were, were individuals that followed the Apostle Paul. Paul was writing to them long after they had had their own churches that he sent them to while he was in prison, imprisoned for his faith. He would not compromise, but he refused to, I'll say, stop that relationship, he refused to, to not advise them. He continued to advise them, to instruct them, to encourage them, to admonish them when they weren't, even if in cases where they were not maybe doing things up to the full, uh, I'll say the fullness of what the Lord had in store for them. And it should be the same way with us in our relationships with the Lord and with each other. We should be constantly connected to the Lord, but also what is the fruit? Are we seeing what we read about in Timothy and Titus as far as having a good reputation? Is the Holy Spirit ministering to us that they are filled and following the Holy Spirit or that there's something that needs to be addressed that we can encourage them in some way that we can build them up and keeping them in prayer it's not it was never meant to just help get someone elected and then that's that's the end of that relationship until the next time they're they're running or up for re-election, but it was to maintain those relationships. Just like we're to maintain our relationship with the Lord. These things matter. It matters for everyone. Because in this, in Galatians 5, we're given the, I'll say the biggest key. It's what each of us should be doing. And it says... That's in verse 25. If we live by the Spirit, by the Holy Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Because of our relationship, our, a deep, personal, and intimate relationship with our Lord and Savior, we should allow Him, well, I say we should be living by Him, allowing Him to lead us, to guide us in all truth, wisdom, knowledge, understanding, and walking by his way, saying what he says to say, doing what he says to do, in the manner with which he says to do it. That's self-control. And that's also a, a commitment that we're not our own leader. Because if we look at the state of many nations in the world, what is the fruit that's, that we're seeing? Is the fruit that reflects Christ working in and through the, the lives of its leadership? Or does it look like everywhere else? 
and like those that are, that are in opposition. Well, known by their fruit. Are the people struggling and, and having difficult difficulty in obtaining just the basic necessities in life? Just affording a roof over their head and, and meals and or, and or water. In whatever nation, but especially in the United States, just regular, normal, adequate drinking water. Or has it all become contaminated? Where people have little to no time for family and to instill those, I'll say, morals and values and help develop and build up the future generations so they can not just survive, but thrive. And teach others how to do the same and how to go beyond the, I'll say, the level, the status, the, the, the standing where we are currently as a nation. Reflecting God in and throughout every aspect of life. That only happens through the Holy Spirit and His leading and guiding. Not our own wisdom. That is an impossibility on how that could ever work. David says this in the Psalms. He says, he asked the Lord to teach him his ways and his thoughts because they are higher than his. And David was the king. He was the king of all of Israel. And they prospered. But not because David was so wise and so intelligent. It's because he trusted and depended on the Lord. So that, that brings us to the third point, right? It says, or the third qualification was that these selected leaders, or the leaders that they would select, were to be full of wisdom. And there's a couple different places here. Um, let's go to Second Samuel Chapter 5. And I want to say that, this first, right? We also need to, just because we are wise, what is our motivation in desiring to be a leader, right? We read that in the good reputation part, right? They should be men or people of good reputation, not there for sordid gain. What is our motivation, our desire to lead people? And even with deacons and elders, it says that if they seek this, that's a good thing that they're doing, right? But there is still a, a pause and a hesitation, if you will, for this reason. Second <clears throat> Samuel 5, verse 2. It says... Previously, when Saul was king over us, you... Oh, sorry. I'll start at chapter 5, verse 1. Then all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and said, Behold, we are your bone and your flesh. Previously, when Saul was king over us, you were the one who led Israel out and in. And the Lord said to you, You will shepherd my people Israel, and you will be a ruler over Israel. So all the elders of Israel came to the king 
at Hebron. And King David made a covenant with them before the Lord at Hebron, and they anointed David king over Israel. So we see right there a number of different things. One, the people had the opportunity to recognize who the Lord had selected as king. The Lord had chosen David as king long before. But there was a process in building him up, preparing him to actually rule and reign over the people. And now his people, right? And by his people, I don't just mean from his tribe. It says all the tribes of Israel. So everyone in the nation had the opportunity to come and and recognize, come into alignment and agreement with who the Lord had already selected to be in that place, in that position. And then it says they anointed him. So they acknowledged it. They came into alignment, in agreement with who the Lord selected. David wasn't standing up, shouting for the mountaintops, I'm the king. They said when Saul was the king. But it says something else that's, that is incredible and we should take knowledge of. It says, when Saul was king over us, you were the one who led us out and in. And the Lord said to you, you will shepherd my people Israel. Do we recall how we were just talking about in Ephesians 4? It says, and he gave some as apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers. Well, pastor is another word that's used in scripture most often, is shepherd. The shepherd is there to bless and feed and protect the sheep. Is that happening with the leaders that are currently in power position? The current elected officials? Are they adhering to what the Lord has determined, his standard for a leader? And if we read throughout the entirety of, of the Old Testament, you will find that every leader gets compared to David, not that he was perfect. He had, he had many flaws, as we all do. But the Lord was concerned with his heart towards him, and it was because of David's heart towards the Lord, his trust, his dependence entirely, on the Lord, that we see how the Lord says about every other king, every other leader, and they either were or were not like David, which matters. But then there's this, this other, I'll say, thing that we need to acknowledge, right? Uh, if we could go to Proverbs 25, 2. Actually, we're not going to go to Proverbs 25 too yet. We're going to go to Proverbs 8, 13. Forgive me. Wrong scripture. And it says this. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride and arrogance in the evil way, and the perverted mouth I hate. He also says, counsel is mine and sound wisdom. I am understanding. By me, sorry, power is mine, 
And then in verse 15, it says, By me kings reign, and rulers decree justice. By me princes rule, and nobles, all who judge rightly. So again, these, are, these leaders are to be shepherds. They are to provide, protect, bless, care, and feed the sheep. Those underneath them, those assigned to their care and their responsibility. That's no different than elected officials and their districts, their constituents for whatever district or place with the community where they came from, the community that elected them to that place. Is that elected official or that potential candidate, are they reflecting the nature and character of the Lord? Are they operating and living and walking by the Holy Spirit who provides counsel and sound wisdom and understanding? Are they decreeing justice and righteousness? Are they judging rightly? Or have they compromised themselves and, I'll say, the nation, whether it's the state, the local, state, or federal level? And everywhere in between. There's usually a trail of this. You see it even in David's life when he compromised himself and his faith. And then you see the the ramifications as a result. You see where it started and you see the impact that was felt by everyone. And I know there are many in many nations that are feeling the negative impact and ramifications of leaders that have been in places that have not lived up to the Lord's standards, but also that have been put there by, I'll say, people. We have been part of the problem. We have put in leaders that have not, or I'll say, that have compromised themselves because we first compromised ourselves. We have to acknowledge it begins with us. It begins with us. I have to rightly judge or examine myself. And am I right? And am I in alignment with the Lord? Is my household in order? Have I managed it well? Or is that reflected in my children? What have I taught them? Are they able to stand in their faith? Am I involved in the community? Am I teaching the same things that I'm teaching my household within the community? Because I love my neighbor as myself. Even if I'm not in agreement, my teaching is not only in words, it's in how I carry and conduct myself, the attitudes, actions, and behaviors that I exhibit. Is it Christ's light shining in and through me? Am I being the salt and light in the earth? Or have we put a a bushel over it? Have we hid it? Has the salt 
lost its saltiness. These are all things that matter. It matter to us, but most importantly, it matters to the Lord, even though the impact is felt by everyone else around us, by our neighbors. But I also want to go back because with David, right, we were just discussing David. And there is, there are a couple key scriptures here that we must go over. Um, trying to find the, the order I want to, to give here. All right, we're going to go to, to 1 Chronicles 22, and we're going to read verse 12. It said, So David, that's King David, gave orders to gather the foreigners who were in the land of Israel, and he set stone cutters to hew out the stones to build the house of God. Oh, excuse me. 22, verse 12. I read the wrong verse. That's verse 2. Forgive me. Verse 12. It says, and this is King David talking to Solomon in the presence of all, the whole nation of Israel, because Solomon, his son, King David's son, is being made king. Because the Lord chose that for him. Actually, we'll, we'll begin in verse 6. Second uh, Chronicles 22, verse 6. Then he called for his son Solomon and charged him to build a house for the Lord God of Israel. David said to Solomon, My son, I had intended to build a house to the name of the Lord my God. But the word of the Lord came to me, saying, You have shed much blood and have waged great wars. You shall not build a house to my name, because you have shed so much blood on the earth before me. Behold, a son will be born to you, who shall be a man of rests, and I will give him rest from all his enemies on every side, for his name shall be Solomon, and I will give peace and quiet to Israel in his days. He shall build a house for my name, and he shall be my son, and I will be his father, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom over Israel forever. Now, my son, the Lord be with you, that you may be successful and build the house of the Lord your God, just as he has spoken concerning you. Only the Lord give you discretion and understanding and give you charge over Israel so that you may keep the law of the Lord your God. Then you will prosper if you are careful to observe the statues and the ordinances which the Lord commanded Moses concerning Israel. Be strong and courageous. Do not fear, nor be dismayed. So in the section of Scripture, there is a turnover. And, the, and King David is talking in the presence of the entire nation to his son Solomon and letting Solomon know I'm making you king because the Lord has said you will be king. And these this is the ta- these are the tasks that you are supposed to accomplish in him. And by following the Lord, this will be the blessings and the benefits that the Lord will bless you with. It's what you're supposed to do. And he encourages and admonishes him and exhorts him, follow the Lord your God, then you will prosper. It's not by his own strength. And, and we know that Solomon was incredibly wise. 
He was actually one of the wisest men in the entire, I'll say, the history of the earth. All documented history. He was one of the wisest. Kings and leaders from all around the world sought him out just to hear his wisdom. And they came with immense gifts and, and payments and just to, to be a blessing to him and to receive the wisdom of the Lord from him and through him. But he didn't do it of his own power. And, and how do we know that? Well, a couple of different scriptures. And we're going to read both of them. The first is 1 Kings 3 and verse 9. So Solomon is praying to the Lord in this section of scripture. Actually, it begins in verse 6. But verse 9 is key. So we're, we're going to... Actually, we'll read verses 8 and 9. He's praying to the Lord, and the Lord's asking him what he wants, what Solomon wants. And Solomon acknowledges that he's but a little child and does not know how to come. He doesn't know the process, which is really interesting because he grew up, again, as King David's son. He literally grew up in the palace, surrounded by what would be the, the politicians, the, the leadership the, of the day. But he's saying, hey, look, I'm, I'm still young in this. I'm new to this. But then he says this, beginning in, in 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 8. Your servant is in the midst of your people which you have chosen, a great people who are too many to be numbered or counted. And here's the key. So give your servant an understanding heart to judge your people, to discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge this great people of yours? And it's not the only place where he says that. It's again said in 2 Chronicles chapter 1 and verse 10. He's asking the Lord, again, it's a, as another record of him asking the Lord, I'll say another account of the same event, which is where now King Solomon is asking the Lord for wisdom. So Solomon said to God, You have dealt with my father David with great loving kindness and have made me king in his place. Now, O Lord God, your promise to my father David is fulfilled, for you have made me king over a people as numerous as the dust of the earth. Give me now wisdom and knowledge that I may go out and come in before this people. For who can rule this great people of yours? And in both of these sections of Scripture, the account is the same. There is this, and this applies for today. He acknowledges his place as a king, as a shepherd, right? But he also acknowledges that the people aren't his. They're not his to come in and to do with whatever he wants and to treat them however he feels they should be treated. He acknowledges that, it's, that they are the Lord's people. And it's the Lord that has put him in the place, that has chosen him, that has called him, that has identified him to be a leader in the midst of the people, to bless, protect, care, and feed them. How is that any different from today? The people, the constituents, for those that have been selected leaders and those that are 
about to become selected leaders, those people belong to the Lord, whether they are for him or in opposition to him. But the Lord has chosen uh, to the selected leaders, the elected officials, the Lord's chosen you to be that shepherd. So I would encourage you to submit to him. And I would encourage the people to listen to the Lord. If everyone is listening to the Lord and doing what he says to do and saying what he says today to say, he will provide the blessing, the benefit, the protection. We won't have to go about it and find it ourselves. Not at all. The Lord is the one that provides. He provides everything. And no, you may not have all the answer, right? You may not have all the answers, but we know the one who does, and that's the Lord. But we have to acknowledge a role in the place and what is actually required from our elected officials and who put them there. And there's, there's a scripture I'd like to, to cover as well. And that's Isaiah 55, I'll say three through five. The Lord is, is calling all, but I'll say, as it pertains to me, especially the United States of America. And he says, incline your ear and come to me. Listen that you may live, and I will make an everlasting covenant with you according to the faithful mercy shown to David. Behold, I have made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples. Behold, you will call a nation you do not know, and a nation which knows you will not run to you, which knows you not will run to you. Because of the Lord your God, even the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. And I say that because that's something we as a nation need to acknowledge. It, this nation was founded by, our, by the Lord and used our founding fathers to dedicate this, this land, this nation to him. It's in everything, even the Pledge of Allegiance. We are one nation under God, indivisible. And we live by liberty and justice for all. not any qualifier that we would put in front of the word justice, which diminishes what justice is. Not putting another group above, an, one group above another, or what's typically referred to as equity. It's equality. All people have the same opportunity, especially in this nation. But it's the Lord that provides it. It's the Lord that gives those things to us. And then we saw in there uh, another, uh, I'll say, key part, right? In verse 5 it says, Behold, you will call a nation you do not know, and a nation which knows you not will run to you because of the Lord your God, even the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. I just want to encourage Christians to live out, believers to live out their faith, to not compromise their faith, but also to trust the Lord and allow him to move on our behalf. So yes, we need to turn to the Lord, not just in word, 
not just in deed, but in word and deed, worshiping him in spirit and truth every moment of every day. And again, not compromise our faith. You know, that, that verse, Isaiah 55, 5, is the Lord's talking to Israel there. And, it, and he says it in the New Testament is because they've, they've turned from the Lord. But again, like I said at the beginning of this episode, this was a nation that was dedicated to the Lord our God, almost as a, a second Israel of sorts, that we were going to be dedicated, we were going to be committed and follow the Lord our God, living in the same blessings and all those things that the Lord provided Israel. But you know, that's not the first time the Lord said that to Israel. If you go back to Exodus 19, 5 and 6, he says this, and in this way. He says, Now then, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my own possession amongst the peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall also be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the sons of Israel. But I want to... I want to say these these couple things, and we'll begin to wrap it up here, right? That first part of you will be um, in Isaiah 55, 5. In other places in Scripture, it talks about how they will be, Israel will return to the Lord because they will be provoked to jealousy by a nation that did not know the Lord. By and by the Gentiles, those that were not, I'll say, born of Israel. And and yes, it says that about the nations. You can look at it two ways. And I'll say the first way is this. The nation of Israel is, yes, there is the nation of Israel. But Israel, as the Lord looks at it, his ways and his thoughts, are those that will do the will of the Lord that will say what the Lord says to say and do what he says to do in every area and aspect of our life, that literally will, will live and walk by his Holy Spirit, just like we see in the pattern example found in Christ. And by Christ, I mean Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah. But then I also want to say this. Why can't the United States of America be that nation? We are, if you look at other places in the scripture, it talks about you'll be provoked to jealousy by a people that are not a people. A nation that's not a nation and a people that's not a people. This nation is called the United States of America. And as you look, it is a people made up of literally every peoples on the earth. Why can't the United States be that nation? But we cannot be that nation until we fully submit to the Lord. When we refuse to compromise our faith, but I've determined in our heart and our mind that we are going to do the will of the Lord regardless of what the circumstance or situation looks like or what we feel like or what our emotions are telling us. That's how we carry that out. That's how we become that nation. And, and it matters. 
And there's there's this. We just read in Exodus 19, right, about being God's possession. The whole earth is his, right? We will be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And 1 Peter 2, verses 9 and 10, it says this. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you were once not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. A nation of kings and priests. Kings, what? They rule. They are also shepherds. Now, as, it, as I look at this and I look at the United States, the leaders are elected to do what? Yeah, they're there to be over the people. But even our Constitution says and begins, we the people. Not we the leaders of the nation will do these things. It's we the people. We, the citizens of this nation, the United States, have been given the authority to make rules through our elected officials. So it begins, again, with us. Are we exhibiting, are we living by, are we applying the same standard qualifications in our lives that the Lord has dictated, commanded for his people, for those selected leaders that we were just reading about in Acts? Or... Or are we trying to do things a different way? But asking the Lord to bless it and bless the nation. Not being fully committed and fully aligned with the Lord, but wanting the fullness of the blessings and benefits in our lives. All the prophets and throughout Scripture, whether it's the prophets, the apostles, the people that the Lord blessed were those that refused to compromise their faith. They refused to submit to what was happening in the day or what the, the, the quote-unquote popular view was. They trusted the Lord to give them guidance. Even when their natural mind couldn't conceive uh, a solution, it didn't make sense to them. They couldn't wrap their mind around it. They fully trusted in the Lord. And we need to be a nation that does that. But also, because we love the Lord, are a nation that will be obedient to what he's telling us to do. Saying what he says to say and doing what he says to do. In every area and aspect of our life first. I can't dictate what you will do in yours. But for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And I pray that you choose the same thing, that you choose to be fully submitted to the Lord, to not compromise your faith, to say what he says to say and do what he says to do. And you may ask, well, well, John, what does that look like? Saying what the Lord says to say and doing what he says to do. Well, as it pertains to selecting leaders, I'll say this. Who does the Lord say you should vote for? 
Who does he say you should select, you should support to be a leader over you and the people that you find in, in your community? But then I'll also say this, if for those that are new to the faith, there's probably going to be some research involved. What's the fruit that we see in this person's life? There's always fruit. There's good fruit and bad fruit. Is there good fruit? Does it reflect the nature, character, and attributes of the Lord? Are the people being blessed, protected, benefited? All the people, not just certain groups, but are the people at large as a whole being cared for, being fed, being protected, being blessed? Or not? Where the good fruit is, is a, a clear metric. And that's not the only thing, but it's a good starting place. And I also want to encourage those that are new in the faith to continue to develop their relationship with the Lord and to hear his voice in your life. So then there'll be less dependence on what you see as, as it pertains to natural things and a greater dependence on our Lord and his voice through his Holy Spirit to you. So we're going to close there for, for tonight. Thank you for joining us at Matters of Life. We love you. God bless you. Have a wonderful evening.